welcome, 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 welcome to the Rev Up, uh, the podcast where we talk all things revenue growth. Uh, we get a whole bunch of guests in, talk to the people who are at the forefront of what's happening in the world of sales and marketing, find out what's really working out there in the big bad world of growth. Uh, today, uh, we're actually recording this on a Friday, late afternoon on a Friday. Uh, today on the show, we have a good friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, very, very successful on the sales side uh, and the qualification side of the growth engine, uh, good, my good friend Ryan Lubinskis. Um, Ryan is a longtime sales professional. We talk quite a bit about his experience. Uh, started 15 years ago uh, in the SaaS tech space with salesforce.com. Uh, started out as a sales de uh, development representative himself, developing pipeline, uh, and eventually moved into, actually pretty quickly moved into being an account executive on the, I suppose you could say, closing side of things. Um, Ryan has developed into leadership roles over the years and run various sales development teams, um, eventually culminating in Ryan now being the VP of sales development at CoachHub, uh, which is the world-leading digital coaching platform, essentially democratizing coaching across organizations. So it's not just for executives, but for team members as well. Uh, Ryan and I talk about a whole host of different topics today. This is uh, a really, really great conversation. I'm always excited to get the chance to, to pick Ryan's brain, uh, as I often do, off the show. So now you guys get to hear those conversations as well. So over to us. Welcome to The Rev Up, my old friend, Ryan Lubinskis. Hi, Ben. Really good to be here. Finally. <laughs> sorry. Overdue. Sorry, I should have said uh, I should have said long time friend rather than old. You're not that old yet. <laughs> uh, getting there. Getting the there. gray hairs. I should have shaved. The gray hairs are poking up. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, starting to get those. Uh... Old now, Ben. We're getting this there. Is... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Young at heart, as always. Yeah. Um. So, common theme in the on the rev up is um. We've known each other for a long time. Uh, I tend to just prefer to talk to people that I know really well, uh, it seems. Mm. Um, friends for years, um, not like mega close during high school and all that sort of stuff. We've known each other for forever and then got really close kind of after we left high school um, and um, talked a lot of business. I, I remember like um, you, were, you know, one of my first friends that we really talked about like our careers and where we were trying mm. to go and all that sort of stuff pretty consistently uh, eventually became those annoying friends at parties and nights out that end up talking about business while out at a, a bar or something like that. Um, and what I remember thinking back when I was preparing for this was that um, you were really the first person I knew that went down a tech sales and specifically like CRM sales mm. route. Um, let's be honest, before that was like a, a cool thing to do, which I think is a bit of a consistent um, theme for you. Um, why don't you fill the audience in a little bit on, on you know, what your journey's been and kind of what you're up to now? Yeah, uh, amazing. And, and yeah, for sure, we've definitely had a lot of great chats over the years. Um, uh, well, maybe we'll get to it later, but there was definitely a, a fair few takeaways that I've had that I still use today when teaching my team. Um, so I'll, oh, great. We'll, we'll put that in there as a, <laughs> a bit of a, a pin to, to come back to later. Um, so yeah, um, my career started with 
pretty much the average um, end of high school thought process of, I have no idea what I want to do. Um, I know I, I want to make some money. I know I love technology. Um, and sales just never really appealed to me. It always has that uh, dirty word attached to it. Mm, of, you know, yep. you're trying to force something down people's throats. And um, it's, it's often even during interviews now, um, when you have that discussion of like, I never really want to be in sales or they never even want to go down the path of a sales professional, but they mm. really attach to the product, the, 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 the people, the mission, whatever it may be. Um, and I definitely didn't find that in my first sales role for sure. Um, after a failed, um, media film and TV, uh, bachelor or something like this, it wasn't even a degree. Um, I got into CRM sales for a very small company called the Accolade Group. I was a mm -hmm. telemarketer, old school telemarketer on the phone, <laughs> um, trying to call through the yellow pages uh, at the time. And it oh, was classic. It was brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> but also the worst thing was the software. Um, I'm going to get in trouble with this. The software really sucked. It was clunky, old, like I have no idea how they sold anything, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the bad. The options back in those days, to be fair, weren't very good. Uh, the CRMs, the world of CRM has come a, ve a very, very long way. Exactly. Uh, I remember some of those early ones, you know. Um, one of the first CRMs I was on was a Siebel product. Yeah. And man, it was tough. It was so tough to use, so tough to train people on, mm. so tough to master. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I think it was, they were all built by accountants. Like it was just a numbers mm. thing. Enter this, enter that. No usability. Just you know, you must enter yeah. these things, right? It's data entry, um, not usability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, I was I was lucky enough to be uh, introduced uh, through CRM uh, to the world of Salesforce uh, as a user. Actually, initially, I was um, tasked with setting up Salesforce.com at a small company out in North Sydney called the Pisces Group. Um, they sold HP, mm. VMware. Um, which was cool. Like I had the sort of tech hardware side, but I was also um, implementing this new CRM, cloud-based CRM called salesforce.com. Um, super easy to configure, click-based, um, you know, especially compared to Excel spreadsheets. You just decide on your fields, your layouts. And the, uh, the team, the sales team there thought I was a bit of a tech genius by setting it up when it's in reality, <laughs> after watching a few videos, anyone could have done it. Um, <laughs> Don't yeah. say that. We do we do HubSpot setups for a living. <laughs> totally, it's super complex. <laughs> so and, difficult. Uh, it's super expensive. No one can do it easy. Um, no, this is this is honestly back in the day when it was just Sales Cloud, um, and it yeah. was such a basic interface where you yep. import an Excel spreadsheet, map the fields, and it was, it was, it was pretty easy. Um, actually, no, I did get quite complex. I did record typing even in that company, which is on a complex right. for me. Um, so then the company actually didn't go so well and, and was looking like it was a, a sinking ship. And um, I got pitched the SDR role at Salesforce um, by the account executive, actually. This was in 2008, um, in mid-2008. So after thinking, well, I'm already doing closing sales. I don't want to take a step back, as you sometimes mm, feel like if you're yep. doing closing sales. Um the SDR role appealed to me because this is a global company. Obviously, the the salary was one thing, but the brand, what they were trying to achieve, it was it was really uh, relatable. Um, and I must say, it was the best decision of my life for sure. 
Um, mm. The the eye opening experience of entering in Salesforce.com in two thousand eight was ridiculous. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I don't know how much more you want me to go into that exact point, but um, that was definitely the start of that sales tech sales career for sure. Yeah, I remember having a I remember having a conversation with you. I think you had maybe a couple of options on the table, and one of mm. them was this like you know, this new big tech company that was kind of fast growth, growing all over the world, blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, as you said, like step back, not really like full full cycle. Um, but what a choice, eh? Hey? Who would have mm. known yeah. <laughs> back in 2008 where this whole thing was going? Exactly. Um, no, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, I think what uh, connected me to it actually uh, outside of the product, you, you get this feeling when you're in the interview process that you're in good hands with the people that you get being interviewed by. And I feel mm. that's probably forgotten about these days when you're going through the interview process, how much uh, you give off about the leadership, the style, the culture, the questioning um, just through the interview experience. And I, I could tell very quickly that they were serious about hiring good talent. But they're also mm. they could have a they could have a laugh. They were relaxed. They had a good culture, um, and they're they're there to be you know successful and grow, uh, which was very appealing. Um, the tech itself exciting, but the people like I could I could tell straight yeah. away there was a connection to I wanted I want to be next to you with your career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that um that whole like being joinable thing. Mm. I mean, obviously we we're a, an outsourcing provider and so like hiring people for other people is a big part mm. of what we do and um that i don't think a lot of businesses realize that your hiring process is it's actually kind of just a marketing and sales process yeah you're actually selling to them i mean it's important that you are real with people and you tell them the truth just like mm. it is in sales uh you don't set unrealistic expectations and then there's a big disappointment when when they land um but uh being joinable is it's such an important part of it like mm. it is particularly right now it is such a competitive um landscape for talent mm. uh why should someone join you over someone else you know and yeah. and even thinking back like so many of the tech players have done such a great job of this and i think salesforce was a bit of a pioneer of the whole like you arrive and there's like an arrival pack. You've got like merch and you got a, yeah. a great, you know, like, um, uh, you know, a bunch of companies eventually ended up doing things like they all, they shifted to using Macs because Macs were popular mm. and everyone wanted to have one. So I was like, you're now on a Mac and you get this yeah. brand new MacBook when you arrive and a hoodie and a mug and a whole, yeah. like the whole thing. And uh, I remember seeing camp. that really starting and, oh, yeah. I mean, that was obviously the big one, right? Yeah. They were the, one of the first to do that too, like take mm. everyone overseas, yeah. um, onboard them like in such a, an impressive, exciting way. Uh, yeah. That must have been super cool. But you, you, moved from, um, you moved from, what happened after Salesforce? You moved from Salesforce into one of the implementation partners, right? Yeah, uh, I, I did what a lot of first-time account executives do, um, they look at the account, the enterprise account executives and see what type of commissions they're earning or the size of the accounts yeah. and, and deals they're landing. And I, I wanted to skip a couple steps and, and go straight into the enterprise space. Um, so I couldn't do it through Salesforce. I could, I could tell the promotional path was SMB, mid-market, GB, and then maybe enterprise after seven to 10 years. So 
um, mm. after a, a good year and a bit of uh, successful closing skills underneath my belt, I took a, a job not in the product side or the, the, the uh, vendor side, but the consultancy side, so the uh, implementation mm. service provider. Um, I landed a job with a company called Tequila. Um, my love for tequila, plus also uh, the opportunity to move uh, overseas into London. A, a great friend of mine named Cameron Cronin, who's now the, the CTO for Accenture, for uh, the Salesforce division uh, out in um, EMEA, I think. Um, he pulled me out and, yeah, I was very lucky to get the job. Uh, moved within sort of two, three months and started, yeah, uh, after four years at Salesforce, landed the job at tequila in London. Yeah, and when when did the because this is a thing I think you were early on too is the um, the realization that there was a real long term sort of career. I don't know if you did realize it. You tell me <laughs> a real long term career path in like sales development leadership. When did that happen? You know what it it, it wasn't uh, as obvious as you'd think. Actually, I mm. I wanted to be a closer because I wanted to have those big chunky sales commission checks. Um, and I realized definitely in consulting services, it's much harder than in uh, software as a service, so annual mm, sales. Yeah. Um, you do have to think about the the project plan, the upfront scoping, the the bandwidth of your team. Um, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very intricate planning process, which compared to software sales, where you're like, how many users? You're an order taker a little bit mm, uh, yeah. as an account executive um, at somewhere like Salesforce. Not, not all the time. Sorry for the account <laughs> executives at Salesforce. Um, I throw, don't worry, I throw salespeople under the bus all the time, all the time. <laughs> exactly, so especially in this day and age. Over a session, you actually have to value sale. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So, um, no, it was, it was actually after a year at uh, Elasticsearch. So after three years of, of doing a pretty mediocre job in, in uh, service sales of a, for my, um, in London, I landed a job at uh, Elastic or Elasticsearch. There was a big data company. Um, I did one year as an account executive there, um, really crushed it for one of the first times in a long time and, and uh, made President's Club. And then I uh, was basically mentoring the SDR team. So to your question, I, I always had an understanding of the SDR team, the need for the SDR team, I saw the value. Um, and there was definitely an opportunity for some, some coaching and mentoring on both sides. I find this is probably the biggest um, miss for a lot of SDR leadership. They feel like a lot of the coaching has to be just applied to the SDRs. It's a team-based effort. So the account executives and their partnership with the SDR is, for me, the most critical part of a successful SDR mm -hmm. um, relationship and, and, and performance. So um, I just saw that there was a bit of lack of education, a, back, a bit of lack of mentoring and guidance. So I did it with my own SDRs. I then coached the wider team. Um, and that's when um, the VP at the time, John Black, uh, said, hey, what about a, a role leading the SDR team? And honestly, even at that point, there's always this... Um, I don't know how to call it, but uh, I guess a, a, a misconception about if you're an account executive, you're moving to closing sales base roles. Like even yourself, you, you moved mm. into being a sales director, you manage sales closes. Um, I did have a bit of a, a, a gag reflex, like a, a bit of a hesitation to say, yeah. hmm, is yeah. sales development the path for me? Maybe, and, and even comments like, Ryan, you move into an SDR leadership role. Why why there? Why not a closing uh, manager role? Um, yeah. But, I, I had a natural pull towards it. One, because I was an SDR. Two, I love that team. They're fun, young, and yeah. um, like just 
full of uh, energy and aspirations. Yep. And um, I really I, I attached to them pretty quickly. So, and I found a natural natural skill set in it, obviously, as well, being both a closer and having a passion for pipeline building prospecting. Yeah, and I remember, like, uh, seeing you and your team just, like, grow pretty fast at <laughs> Elastic. Um, what was that? Um, what was that sort of growth trajectory like, like building a team mm. um, and, you know, a kind of dispersed team as well, not all yeah. in one, one location, one, one office? What was that like? Yeah, uh, I was very lucky actually in London. We had, we had four SDRs in, in London, four out of Amsterdam, and we're covering the whole mm. of uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa. Um, the growth was, it probably felt fast, on the outside, looking up, uh, looking after a few years mm. um, of, of, we got to about thirty SDRs before I left, um, with you know two or three, uh, three or four managers uh, across EMEA. But at the time, it was actually really calculated how we grew, uh, and it was a big lesson for me actually because there are companies out there that grow too fast. They feel like um, if they just place SDRs in a region, uh, it's the tip of the spear. They will get the business, and then it sort of carries through from there. But they're really calculated in regards to the demand or, or um, uh, the, general, the, the demand from the territories or the, uh, what would you mm. call it, um, the market health, if you will. So being an open source company, they had a lot of insights into where people were interested to learn more about the product. So open source meaning it's free. Um, it's good for scale. We had 400 million downloads within the first couple of years of being a, being a, a business. Um, and people would go to the website to be educated on how to get better uh, at the product. So because of that, we had this insight. And even the SDR team, they weren't called sales development reps. On in, They were called sales development reps internally. But externally, they were user success managers. So mm. we were, were basically using the data to understand, hey, there's a big growth area in the Middle East or Africa or um, specific countries in Eastern Europe or whatever. And we would place headcount and language skill sets to 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 you know, dig deep into that interest. Um, so mm. using the data to then grow. Um, but yeah, it was a, a really awesome experience to see the data-driven approach for growth. Yeah, little bit of an aside here, but um, I've never really thought about how does an open source software provider actually make money then? What's the point of the SDR? Is it enterprise accounts? Like where does the, where does the money come into it? So uh, it's a bit of an evolution, uh, to be honest. I, I feel, uh, I actually, I got asked the question from um, uh, one of our head of uh, sales, uh, Justin Hoffman at the time. He said, why do you feel like we've gone with the open source approach versus proprietary, right? Salesforce isn't open source. There's a lot of big software companies, Oracle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so open source, I think, is the, the business use case for two reasons. One, scale. Get it in a, in, if it's a good software product, get it in the hands of as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, the other side is um, I think there's an element of if you're open source, you're allowed to um, visible, like you make the, co the, the code visible. Uh, and this mm -hmm. allows for the community to actually provide suggestions and um, additions to the code to make it even better. So it's kind of a, a crowd, not a crowdfunding. I'm trying to think of the right word, but community driven. Uh, yeah, crowdsourced, but it's it's this ability to allow the community to make the mm. the, the product better over time. So yep. that's another reason why you make it open source. But they take your, ownership of it. 
Yeah, correct. So Git, uh, mm. as I say, GitLab, uh, GitHub. Uh, I think it's GitHub. So I get it's two companies. Mm. I always get them confused. GitLab is a, a different product. GitHub is the open source developer database, right? Um, and you can go in there and get code for different things. You can make uh, um, deposits or, or requests for making the code better, and people review it and say, "Yeah, that actually does make it better," and they make it part of the stack. Um, but to your to your question, it's Depending on the open source company, we decided to go down the support route initially. So people were using the product, but not using it to its best of its ability. It was quite complex to set up, how to uh, integrate it with your current systems, how to get the best optimization from the product. So we sold support, which was not just upfront guidance, but also ongoing. If something went wrong, if it's a mission critical app, you could reach out to us at different support levels. Mm. It could be um, you know, bronze, silver, platinum, or whatever it may be. Um, but then we evolved the, the offering over time. We added security. So, you know, for mission critical application, storing billions and billions of uh, data, uh, data um, or petabytes of data, really, across different sources, um, you want security. You don't want it to be hacked. So security is one, automation, um, integrations, things like this. So you basically mm. build out the, the subscription model on top of it to be beneficial for the the, yeah. um, the the customer. It's almost like a mass scaled um, freemium model. Pretty much, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you got to determine, yeah. right? If if you have someone saying a customer saying, "Hey, it'd be great if you could have this feature," and you look at it and say, "Well, that that's pretty complex, and it's going to take X amount of time to build. We'll build it, but it's going to be part of the premium package." You've got to balance that out, right? Because you don't want to allow the the basic package to be not usable so there's got to be an mm. element of like if you're going to make additions to the product you need to make it suitable for the open source community as well as the paid community and it's a really difficult balance to strike but as you can see with elastic success they've done it really well um and so then you moved on to you did a, cu a couple of other things but eventually landed at at coach hub mm. which is coach not hub a software is, company it, <laughs> It is. It, the funny thing is, it's a perfect mix between a SaaS product and people-to-people uh, -people, uh, communication and and yeah. coaching. So right. And so, how how did that happen? How did you sure. end up end up there? And what what's what are you what are you doing now? Sure. So um, I'm the VP of Global Sales Development at Coach Hub. We are a digital coaching uh, provider. So um, we provide a digital coaching platform which allows you access to a certified pool of coaches um, globally, so at scale. So you can start off with 10 coaches or people in your organization coached uh, and then scale to hundreds if not thousands around the world in, in multiple languages. And I feel the my path to Coach Hub has been looking for a company that had the mixture of both a SaaS-based product, a digital platform, which is um, a SaaS cloud-based product um, that could scale, that could grow, that has an incredible sort of total addressable market. And then the people-to-people -people interaction, because I feel I was missing that over the last 10, 15 years of CRM and big data. We just made more applications which pull more people into screens and you know no no sort of interactions with humans mm. um, just looking at data more data here's more data and insights whereas coach hub connects you with real people that will help you, you know, for different 
for different reasons, professionally, personally, um, through mental health, well-being. Um, and I feel in this day and age, it's more important than ever to have that human connection. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I obviously most recently come from a business that is about coaching, but for mm. uh, small businesses, small business mm. growth. Um, so we're obviously very aligned there. Um, so maybe this is the one where what I said before about um, about uh, fast growth, mm. this one's clearly grown very fast, incredibly fast. What's yeah. the what's the role you've seen the SD team that you lead? What's the role you've seen it play in the in the growth of Coach Hub? Yeah, it's 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 a great question. Yeah, incredibly fast. It was um, I, I started back in two thousand and twenty one. Wow, it's it's only two years. It feels a little while ago. Um, with thirty SDRs, um, I was the only leader there, so thirty SDRs directly reporting to me. We grew up until about December last year. We were at 100 SDRs globally with 15 leaders. So two years from 30 to 100 uh, was incredible um, growth to be part of. So the, the key there is <clears throat> with open source, it was largely inbound as in we had... Mm -hmm. We knew the people. They were coming to the website. They were developers. They all were using the product. It wasn't like we were hunting down cold people who wanted to have a big data solution. But for CoachHub, this is still not a matured um, business concept. Um, coaching is used in different ways across businesses, Most mostly mm -hmm. for the executive team to have their own personal executive coach or if a specific unit has a learning development need, maybe there's a trainer that comes in or you, know, you get a public speaker or something, but dedicated, personalized one-to-one um, -one coaching is still relatively um, new to a lot of companies. So the SDR mm. team, the purpose of the SDR team is, is education and we are doing nearly 100% cold outbound. So we are targeting typically with the HR uh, department, people or culture, people development. Mm -hmm. And then we've now expanded beyond HR um, to different business units. <clears throat> Obviously, transformation, businesses are going through a lot of transformation these days. Um, and coaching helps businesses move through these different transformations, whether it be digital transformation, sustainability. Um, and obviously, in this day and age, the, the world uh, outside of the organization is tricky to navigate and businesses are struggling to find a, a solution that provides a unique personal development experience for each of their employees at scale. Um, so the SDR calls up and gives that gives that pitch probably in a much more succinct way than I've just given, but out of my, my game. And um, the interest is, is quite rapid. They see the benefit straight away um, and obviously pass them through to the account executive and go from there. Yeah, uh, man, it's amazing the difference that a, a coach makes in how somebody feels or approaches a particular situation in comparison to when they get told potentially the same advice, the same information from a direct manager. Sometimes it's even different when it's a third, uh, mm -hmm. a separated third party. Um you know, particularly for a lot of the challenging things that are, are happening in the world of business over the last mm -hmm. six months or so. I mean, um, we are, let's be honest, we're, we are in a pretty challenging moment in the global economy and it might mm -hmm. get worse. Um, you and I know this feeling pretty well because we both uh, sold during the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. um, 
back then I was selling uh, sponsorships to small B2B conferences, uh, trying to get marketing departments to spend money to come and, you know, promote their brand and mm. access events. Um, what do you think is going to really matter for – because we've talked about, like, aspects of growth, but what do you think is really going to matter for teams to push through the next – 12 to 18 months and be able to, you know, get a good result. Let's be honest, like mm. sales teams ultimately in in moments like this are responsible mm. for what happens for everybody else, mm -hmm. right? The result that we get determines how how well we sail through these times. What do you think is going to really matter for, the, for these sales teams in particular going through the next, you know, 12 plus months? Yeah, it's, it definitely is one of the big turning points um, for a lot of salespeople. They're realizing um, that it's not always as easy. There's, it's not always um, as inbound and fruitful uh, of mm. a career. When, it gets, when times get tough, sales is, is brutal, right? Like you mm. have these incredibly high targets. Customers are you know, uh, canceling budgets or pushing things off. And as you said, 2008, um, that's when I started at Salesforce as well. And it was a premium SaaS-based product, which was a huge risk to businesses. How do you justify that? Um, and, and Back I think when it, people were still thinking, should I even go to the cloud at all? Yeah, exactly. It's only internet-based. How, how do I get access if the internet's down? You don't. Oh, okay. Sign me up. <laughs> um, but obviously, we've come a long way since then. Um, to, to your point, it, it was something that... Um, Mark Benioff actually said um, during the, the GFC, within my first couple of months at Salesforce, he got onto an all hands and said, there's never been a better time for customers to invest in, in Salesforce. And we, we kind of, what do you mean? It, it, mm. This is not what we're hearing. Um, and he said, well, think about it. This is the time where customers need to make money. And how do they make money? They make money through sales. And the best tool to help them make more sales is Salesforce. The other tools are clunky, hard to use. They don't, you know, look, look at our stats. We're increasing sales, we increase customer retention. So it, it was a really easy pitch to, to, to customers at the time. But to your point for, for I mean, CoachHub and, and other uh, organizations out there, it's understanding the, the value that you're providing. It's no longer a nice to have. We can't say, oh, imagine if, or, you know, what about this? It's, Let's get to the bottom of what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, and how our solution, product, feature, whatever it may be, will help you achieve those goals. And that level of conversation was not really there for a lot of sales organizations. They, oh, you need um, an automation tool? Plug ours in. We're top of the market. It's easy. Let's go for it. Uh, you want an, an extra, you know, solution on top of your tech stack, let's go for it. Here's a gamified sales tool. These these things are sometimes nice to have. I'm not, I love some gaming tools out there, the gamified sales mm. tools out there, but you really have to go back to the, the value that um, companies are gonna see in ROI. And a lot of companies, whether it be um, Meta uh, or others that are moving towards profitability and, and um, you know, efficiency, right? Um, you can't afford to be investing in something that doesn't have that 3x uh, ROI. So a salesperson needs to be equipped and SDR needs to be equipped to have that anxiety level question of, 
let's get to the bottom of where you're seeing the biggest challenges and how our solution product feature, whatever it may be, will help your business uh, through those challenges and help you achieve these goals. So let's just think over the next like the next 12 to 18 months, what do you think mm-hmm. is going to be the most important thing that determines whether, because I mean, we're here to talk about growth and mm-hmm. I've, I've been in sales teams that have grown during really difficult times. Mm. It's not an impossible thing to do. What do you think is going to matter? What do you think teams are going to need to focus on? What are they going to need to do in order to be able to to keep growing and keep uh, finding a way to win even when yeah. it's, you know, you're not just taking orders anymore. You're not just, the customers aren't coming to you. You've got to go and, and make things happen. Yeah, I think there's a, a mixture of automation, and, and we're seeing the AI age uh, come in with a pretty big wave at the moment. Um, in fact, it's it's almost how to navigate that ocean of, of AI tools and which one makes sense, which one's going to make my business uh, succeed versus which, one, which one's going to make it look like I've just automated too much. Um, and I think the other part is this element of uh, accountability and, and ownership. You have to be able to reflect onto your processes, your your pitch, like you see the, the likes of Gong um, scaling so big because we're finally getting some insights into every conversation about where we've went wrong, where we can improve. And only companies that have the vulnerability to, or, or and individuals, account executive sales teams, have the vulnerability to reflect and say, we can do better there, or here's how to here's how to change the game on this area, or how's here's how to handle this situation, objection, um, challenge, whatever it may be, in a better way. Companies that are agile enough and sales organizations that are agile enough to do that will will push through. Others that are too, too set in their ways and are not willing to be flexible towards uh, you know internal reflection, but also understanding the customer situation. I think that's when you'll have a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been saying for years, like your sales process should always be like a, a, a living process that's always mm. evolving and always progressing. But when you, when something external legitimately changes, mm. if you keep selling the same way you've always been selling, when there mm. is a legitimate significant external change, you're only going to go backwards, mm-hmm. right? Like... Um, if most of the sales teams out there, if they if they just plow ahead now and go, everything's fine, you know, that meme of the dog sitting at the table with all the fire around him, this is fine. Um, if that's what they do. We've used that they so are. much. Everyone uses oh that. Oh, my God. Let's, let's start so the week good. with how are we feeling today, dog in fire. Fine. This is fine. <laughs> um if everyone, if it, if that's if that's how sales teams approach it, they're probably going to find it really difficult the next yeah. next twelve to eighteen months. I think that what you said there about accountability, um, I think it is a it is very much a two way street in business mm. because um, the business itself does need to go. What do we need to do different? What do we need to change? Is this mm-hmm. process still working? Is this technology still working? What do we need to, to tweak? Mm. I think is really important and being open to it. I think that the sales people and the teams themselves need to be involved in that process. Mm-hmm. I say all the time, you want to know what's going on with your customers, just ask your sales team. 
Uh, the amount of time businesses just completely ignore what their sales teams have to say mm. as if they don't know is outrageous. But I also think that, man, having been a salesperson during a difficult time, mm. you you can't act the same Yeah. of when things were easier. You have to upskill. You mm. have to work harder. You're probably going to have to fucking hustle. Right? <laughs> oh, my favorite. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's I think the we, truth we, though, right? We're, we're both from the basketball background, right? And, and we, we, love, we love the sport. And it's one of those things I, I feel um, comes naturally being uh, you know, into a variety of different sports. You don't have to be that talented sometimes. You just have to hustle. And yeah. it's the, I mean, hustling without any strategy direction is, is a bit chaotic. But just showing that that hustle and grind, I think that's definitely missing. To, to answer your question again, I think if if organisations aren't uh, reflecting and and uh, automating and, and all of that, but missing that key ingredient of just hustle and pushing through and, and understanding this we're in it for the long game, that's also I'd say one of the the toughest parts there. Um, mm. It's missing. I think feel like that hustle part is has been uh, a bit of a gap in a lot of sales organisations for for a few years it's been a little bit too easy and and look this ha this happens every now and again like there's there's this moment and you just gotta you gotta put the hard work in and you gotta really mm -hmm. go for it and if you wanna um if you wanna succeed and if you wanna keep being a salesperson mm -hmm. in that business you're probably gonna have to work a bit harder than you have before i think mm -hmm. it is also super critical again having been there as a salesperson myself it's also super critical for the business and the leaders to remember that people can't sprint forever, mm -hmm. right? Like they, they do have to have um, breaks and they do have to have gaps and they do have to be able to decompress for a moment. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be important that leaders remember to make sure their team take holidays still mm -hmm. and find ways for that to happen, that they find little successes and wins to celebrate mm -hmm that they readjust how they think about targets mm -hmm. and what they expect of their people because if they just go on as if it's exactly the same and let their team fail their targets for the next 12 months mm. straight, they're probably going to have massive retention problems themselves. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so there's all those little, little adjustments that are, are really going to make a big difference, I think. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, I, I sit here as a sales leader myself, hoping that I can practice what I preach a little bit in that area. It's interesting you say that. It's it's one of the pieces of advice that I find myself giving to a lot of SDRs and, and SDR leaders um, within their first sort of two, three months. Um, you know, as we, we discussed earlier, the, the interview process, you're doing a two-way um, pitch, right? They're pitching you, you're pitching them, and there's this element where you come together, and then after you start, bright-eyed, ready to take it all in, very quickly, you know, they may hit the ground running and they get to a point where they've, they've, they've clicked, right? They've clicked the systems, the tools, the product, they're on the phone, they've they found their groove and then they, they want to level up a little bit. They maybe have their eyes set on a promotion of some kind in a certain amount of time frame. Maybe they've been promised, hey, 12 months, 24 months, you've got this new role. And they start to think, what can I do next? So they get involved in enablement or um, training, coaching, um, different projects that help them get that path forward. 
And I, I encourage that, of course. We, we, it's, you're always wearing many hats in a, in a startup or many organizations, and we want to let people flourish. But I also warn them. I say, you have to remember that you're spinning a certain amount of plates. Those plates, if you're spinning too many, will drop. And if, you are, if you're off running with these other projects, the first thing you'll forget is those basics of just doing the SDR role, the basic hustling, the, the responding to leads or sending emails, sequencing, adding new contacts. These little KPIs that you did at the start that were so uh, rudimentary and, and part of the role, you've, you've moved too far beyond that and you've, you've forgotten those basics. Um, so, and to your point, those, it's because you also get burnout. You're just juggling too much. You're, you've taken on too much. Mm. Um, and that reflection is not just for an SDR, SDR leader. Sometimes it's also an organization. Um, there's a lot of businesses these days that for the last two, three years have grown beyond their core belief. Like, I mean, <laughs> Meta and Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg, right? I have no idea if the, the what, what's it called the meta world what's I'm going to be embarrassing here metaverse metaverse okay with, with, <laughs> with Mark with Mark Zuckerberg in the metaverse I mean how far beyond the core product frame what he was providing people were thinking like I think you just need to pull it back a little bit and organizations yeah. are doing that right now it's like we can't afford these edge innovation cases we need to go back to what we we, we were trying to accomplish at the core same for an SDR and a sales leader what are some of the basics picking up the phone, uh, calling your network, having a chat with a customer because that's the right thing to do. Um, and, and that's forgotten about very quickly if, if you're moving too fast. 100%. Um, I'm just going to pull back on the, the Mark Zuckerberg thing for a second because... Um, Cage fight with... with uh, if, <laughs> Elon Musk. if this ends up being... Uh, like a digital metaverse fight, I'm going to friggin' lose it. Oh, if no, this isn't it's... a real fight, I'm going to be so annoyed because I want nothing more than to watch two billionaires punch each other in the face. That's going to be great Who, television. Who's your money on? Oh, Musk for sure. Yeah? Musk. Oh, I definitely. Don't it, it, uh, I don't know if you've been seeing Zuckerberg's been winning some uh, MMA, not MMA, um, jiu-jitsu uh, competitions recently. Oh. He's been, he's been participating in some jiu-jitsu competitions. Like, to be fair, recently. he does seem like the kind of guy that could get really into jiu-jitsu. Yeah. <laughs> and become really good at it. Be like so singularly focused on an yeah. individual thing. I, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. But is like that's getting way outside of what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> So now we're promoting it with cage fights. Is that what's happening? In this uh, case, I saw a, saw a quote uh, just just today. I think it was just like we really need more female leadership within these tech startups. That's getting beyond like the testosterone levels of our of our of our tech billionaires are, are getting out of control. That is out of control, but it's yeah. freaking hilarious, and I hope I hope so much that it happens. Absolutely. I can't think of I can't think of a of, of a better a better uh, celebrity fight to happen than two tech billionaires getting in the cage together. It's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. Um, you talked earlier about um, one of the things people might need to focus on is things like automation. Mm -hmm. um, look, we do tech implementations for customers all the time. Granted, at the small to medium size scale. Um, 
we go into a lot of those with people saying, I just want to automate everything. I just want to automate everything, mm. right? Everybody keeps telling me I need to automate more things. I even get people being like, oh, um, when we're doing our mapping, for example, and they're like, oh, yeah, nothing's really automated. It's really embarrassing. Um, and the truth is that so many of the automations I see people are actually doing are rubbish and they're not that helpful and they actually mm. create a bad customer experience so talk to me about what you mean when you talk about automation uh especially in terms of like what do you mm. see actually working to help uh create efficiency create effectiveness increase conversion increase customer experience and you know add to the journey as they go along that that path from stranger to customer sure this is definitely going to be a an editable um, part of the, the the podcast because I'm going to talk about what I've seen not work in the past yeah. uh, as as a starting point, and then I'm going to say what we're working towards uh, where we're yeah. at currently. But I'd say we're still not there, um, and it's largely yeah. you know there's a change of tech stack, there's um, a change of the business approach and models that yeah. you really, as you mentioned, if you put in automation when you're going through this change you have this technical debt that you're trying to also remove as you're trying to change the organization. So um, the automation is something that is great when you know exactly what you want and how it can help versus if it's put in place too quickly, it it doesn't contribute towards the the efficiency gains that you're looking for. Um, But to, to your point about when it has worked, um, I have seen organizations use um, sequencing tools uh, like Outreach or SalesLoft where they've automated every type of response uh, from marketing or from like an engagement from a prospect online automatically into a sequence and automatically giving the task to the SDRs rather than mm-hmm. the acceptance of the SDR. The SDR has that triage process of what do I do with this? I look at the, the lead, I look at the account and, and put it into some kind of flow. Um, the automation was already there. However, that also got a bit tricky, right? Because you'd have situations where, let's just say you have a, a, a very uh, hot A-plus prospect from one of your target accounts visit a webinar or something, and they enter a sequence which is either not relative or not uh, not pinpointing the, the previous conversations you've had or not showing that uh personalized ABM style approach that you should with a key target uh, individual and account, that's a bad customer experience. The speed was there, but the personalization was not. And I think there's that Mm. balance to be had where you still need that human intervention to say, what's the the best thing for this person at this time? Mm. Um, As an example, if you have a decision maker come to the website after you're running a sales cycle for a while, is it best to um, send out an automated email saying, thanks for your interest, we'll be in touch shortly, or wait with some good lead routing and automation internally to get through to the right person, in this case, maybe an SDR that's part of the account team, and reach out and say, hey, you know, great uh, to, to, to see you're interested. I'm part of the account team. We're having existing conversations about this. Are you part of those conversations? Um, Exactly. What are you looking for based on what you know you visited on the website? Here's um, some initial information, but would love the chance to jump on a call and have a have a chat about uh, what we're doing um, across the organization. That's much 
much more uh, valuable to that individual. They'll feel the personalized approach. They would understand that how uh, you've already had these conversations. And I think automated versus personalized in that case is is um, easy. <laughs> but mm. um, I'd say it's scale. Automation can be achieved if done if done well. But for specific targeted uh, accounts or individuals, it's it's better for manual intervention. I totally agree, right? I totally agree. Yep. Um, to me, especially if you are at the small, medium end of the scale, mm. look for like look for automation to do simple things that you know are going to be helpful, mm. and then draw a really clear line between things where we are trying to give a personalized approach and things where that doesn't matter so much. Mm. And try to be as honest as you can with the customer about which one of those they're going through. Because where I see so many companies go wrong is they try to automate a personalized approach mm. and it comes off as very clearly automated because they've lost context. Mm -hmm. And so now actually the customer is getting a negative opinion and, and a, a negative experience because of the automation when the whole point was to give them a better experience and a better chance of converting. You see yeah. it all the time. You know, yeah. the the example you gave there of being added to a automatically added to a sequence that they're going to go through, but that sequence is out of context mm -hmm. and nobody notices and they're like four steps into the sequence and the sequence is like, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's basically saying to them, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And we're pretending it's coming from a real person who's making yeah. those decisions. That's the stuff that I yeah. just see people mess up all the time. Yeah. One of the best examples I've seen of just like if you're a smaller business with a, a, a half-decent sales process in place, there's like two really easy automations that I think are super valuable. One is save your sales team from themselves, mm -hmm. right? If, you've, if you look at your conversion rates across your pipeline um, in terms of time and once you get 30 days in, your conversion rate is like less than 1%, mm. everything that's 30 days in, close lost it, <laughs> right? Auto close lost it. Give you, you can give your reps a, a, an automated reminder. Mm. Two days time, 48 hours time, this lead's going to be close lost. If they want to go in and mm. do something about it, they can do something about it but auto-close lost. And then everything that gets auto-close lost based on reasons. Um, so let's say, for example, the reason is ghosted or no contact, mm. as some people would call it, because let's be honest, that's going to be 75% of the reasons why people lose pipeline is they just mm. never heard from them again. If that's the case, have a nice little message that goes out 30 days later that says, hey, Ryan, did you ever manage to find a solution? Yeah. For this thing, for whatever it is, context exactly. twin. Like something super simple like that that then can appear like it is a thing from a person, not a marketing mm. email, because you can't possibly get that wrong. Right? Yeah. So long as you've got your closed lost reasons organized. Like simple automations like that that actually add to the process and help you re engage really yeah. simply. I think that stuff works. When you get really complicated and you're like trying to do advanced personalizations to masses of data like who's doing yeah. who's doing a good job of that that's not spending tens to hundreds of millions of dollars on it exactly. that's my question 
Well, I mean, AI is definitely kicking to gear a lot with that personalization, but still there's some weaknesses mm. there. I've seen a lot of complaints about the personalization only being um, personalized from um, online available sources like LinkedIn profiles. And mm. people are just getting a mixture of, hi, based on your profile, I noticed this and this, and therefore I want to tie my product somehow into your profile and here's my pitch. Mm. Um, but but to your point, I think some of the best automation that still is relatively untouched is how to um, progress a lead through the customer journey in the right way, have actionable insights at every stage. And I feel some of the biggest misses for CRMs and, and these automation tools is capturing uh, voice to text within the lead record to build a profile of the types of things that you're having as part of a conversation. There's probably a lot of GDPR mm. and privacy issues around that, but even email uh, data is often captured in activity history, but very rarely used for marketing purposes. So let's just say mm. um, I have a conversation with a prospect. Initial conversation uh, is based on a webinar they visited. I know the webinar topic as I'm reaching out as an SDR. I have initial conversation. They share some insights like, oh, this individual um, had uh, you know, this problems at the company, these interests, it's um, a little bit, little bit far off, maybe they're 12 months off, just putting the feelers out for now and maybe we'll get back in touch in six months. How about I send you some information, typical response from an SDR, sounds good, all right, bye. From there, that goes into nurturing or something from a marketing perspective and the SDR goes and hunts down additional contacts, additional accounts, something like this. But that insight captured in that conversation in the email trail or whatever they've engaged in marketing is rarely used for the next phase of their nurturing and marketing automation, right? Mm. They don't say, well, they mentioned the competitive product there. So anything to do with the comp competition moving forward, we need to send out to this person, like tagging them in regards to that competition. They mentioned this pain or this issue, whatever it may be, this time frame. That type of sales, you know, sales intent data is never captured for marketing purposes. And then, as you mm. said, if we lose the deal halfway through the sales cycle due to ghosting, the automation is, okay, reach out to one individual and say, hey, um, any interest, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've gone quiet or has this uh, still a priority for you versus the entire company should be marketed to and prospected to based on what we captured during that sales cycle. All of the challenges, the email templates that are yep. built should be like, hey, we had previous conversations about these challenges that exist in your organization. Do they still exist today? Our product is doing this now. Your competition is a customer that's similar to yours that mm. recently went with us. The, the automation of the task to, to reach out is one thing. The data-driven outreach is, for me, it doesn't exist. And I think it's a massive, massive gap mm. in the market. Yeah, um, I've seen a couple of examples um, and this is not about the data pulling back, but a couple of examples of like companies where they build their um, their sequences. Um, I don't know what you call them in in other yeah. tech language. That's the that's the sequencing. HubSpot the HubSpot word for yeah, them. sequencing um, sequences flows. Whatever it may be. What do they call them in sales loft? I used to use sales loft. It was a you different know what? I, word. I actually never use sales loft. I only, uh, sales loft. I only used uh, outreach. Okay, so talk to me about like. How do you use automation to actually create good outcomes, good follow-ups, all those sorts of things? Like, what's the stuff that people can do and focus on, and you know, use it for to make stuff happen? Sure. So, 
again, the best automation comes from reflection and analysis in your processes and the bottlenecks, the gaps, the, the errors that you can see some efficiency gains for. Um, and one example uh, would be, um, as I mentioned at the start of the sales cycle, when a prospect says, hey, not right now, not interested, um, how can you automate the, the lead nurturing uh, in a way that is using those that data and insights to bubble them back up to the top so an SDR isn't putting... Because an SDR isn't a marketing uh, service. It, it shouldn't be there mm. to sequence and nurture uh, to nurture prospects and nurture leads. They should be there to have the human interaction of um, you've shown interest in this, you've shown intent, I'm going to be hyper-personalized with my call, with my email. But the automation of nurturing the pool of, of old prospects after they haven't responded to a sequence or maybe they're just completely fresh on the website. That's that's a great area of automation. But the other side, through the sales cycle, as, as you mentioned before, a large portion of deals go dead for uh, no decision or uh, ghosting or, or no uh, no shows or just change their mind. And there's very rarely a point of, of analysis of what can we do to bring them back because they've shown enough intent to have a conversation. They've then showed enough of a, a qualification to have a sales cycle, a start of a sales cycle. And they've stopped for many different reasons. It could be internal policies, it could be different priorities, it could be budgets, it could be just they've changed roles, they've changed uh, projects, whatever it may be. And having some automation or insights to the account executive or the account team to then say, well, in this situation, we recommend not just following up every three months with, hey, you know, is this an interest again? Or, hey, does this, does, is this a priority? Ready to buy again? now. Exactly. Ready hey, to buy now? <laughs> remember me? You had interest in the past. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually saying, well, hey, this person had this interest with these competitors um, and they had a renewal date of this thing. Hey, this is the actions for the AE. This is an action for the SDR. These are some suggested contacts to go after. Like this person was in this role. Maybe these people, like using the data, like graph data, uh, Neo4j does it really well, but there's a lot of things out there where you can say this person's connected to these people in the organization or you just have a, a nice strategic mapping. AE, you go after these C-level people. Uh, SDR, you go after these mid-level managers or decision makers or business unit um, uh, leaders and divide and conquer. But that's very rarely an automation that takes place. It's the deal is lost. Let's move on to the next account. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's... Um, I mean, the way, especially in big business, the way uh, decision-making units have changed, I think, is, is pretty mm. interesting. The... The sheer volume of people involved in a B2B decision now is mm. crazy. And so with all of these different people influencing decisions, it, what you say there makes so much sense that um, the, if you think of it in terms of the account rather than mm. the person, the person has completed their process, but the account has showed interest. And so now it's almost like, that one person showing interest initially is the trigger point, whether they buy or not, mm. is the trigger point for starting the whole ABM process across across the rest of the account. Mm. And it, it's it's sometimes 
we, we talked about the evolution of, of sales uh, individuals and how they have to hustle and grind, but sometimes it's the, the basic sales tactics that have been forgotten about, like multi-threading. So you have a person that maybe says that they're the decision maker. Maybe they're not even the decision maker, but they want to control the sales cycle from the customer's end. And the mm. sales rep is probably getting happy ears, you know, hearing, oh, we have this budget and yeah, we, we need this amount of licenses. They put their deal into forecast and it's million dollars and the close date of a month. But they're single threaded onto one individual that isn't probably the right individual to be talking to instead mm -hmm. of this automation of um, understanding the buyer's journey and who else would be influenced with this project. And if that's not happening at the qualification stage of, hey, this is uh, a complicated uh, cycle, sales cycle, a complicated buying journey, our recommendation to you, Mr. Buyer, is that we work with your organization in this way. We align your executive team to our executive team. So you always have a, a direct point of contact to our executive team. We have your um, technical influencers or technical buyers aligned to our technical team. Here's them. Um, you have your other uh, early stage interests, maybe the people that need a bit of education. The SDR can do a lot of that groundwork about spreading thin across the organization with just stirring up interest. And then obviously, who else is involved? Who else will be impacted with this project? You're going from a single person to an army of individuals on the other side. The strength of that opportunity grows immensely. Yeah. Um, that, that, that point around like um, just remembering some of these basic sales tactics, like I think that's, that's so important. It's so easy for us to get caught up in, you know, everything in the sales world has changed, you know, none, none of this works anymore. And now that's this whole new paradigm, which to be honest is, is partially um, built by a lot of businesses trying to sell products that align to what they say the new paradigm is. Um, but there are so many of these things that are like well-known uh sales fundamentals mm. that are just as important now as they were 30 years ago, yeah. you know, making sure we're talking to all of the decision-making unit and talking to them in a way that is actually valuable to them, mm -hmm. identifying what roles people play. Are they um, a decision-maker? Are they a budget holder? Are they a champion? Are they an influencer? Are they going to be a roadblock? Like what part do all these different people play? Um you know, knowing that information makes such a difference to how you go about actually engaging each of those people and and um, and the difference you can make in the sales and the sales process. Yeah, um, it's actually that's a good segue into um, the point I was making at the start of the podcast. One of the best bits of insight I've I've uh, taken away from our sales conversations, uh, which were there were many of them, and I to this day still share this insight where. An account executive going into any meeting, I feel these days are incredibly underprepared. They're under-researched. They have not thought through typical objections are going to happen. They have not thought through um, what the customer is, is going to be interested in, what questions they may ask, um, what things that I can prepare for that would help progress this deal forwards. And those things aren't just impressive for you know, landing bigger deals, etc. The customer feels that. The customer feels that you've done your research, that you care about what mm. we, we need. 
and you have an you have an answer to questions that that are front of mind, right? Like if it's a budgetary thing, a, um, a, a disconnect, maybe competitive insights, um, whatever it may be that you can be prepared for. And um, I, I, when I share this with my SDR team or even account executives, right, to say, hey, this this meeting could have gone a lot. Uh, in a different different way or a different uh, different angle, if you had some of these areas prepared for, and uh, I, I do share that outside on the back of your comment that uh, if you really want to see a TV show that has this, it's uh, Suits with Harvey Specter, where even in the first episode, <laughs> right, he's, he's got uh, you know an envelope prepared, is he's ready for the the biggest objection of that meeting. And the, they don't have an answer. They have no reason not to progress to the purchase um, if you have everything prepared for. Yeah, that preparation piece, I totally agree, is um, is pretty undervalued these days. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's that businesses generally have gotten heaps better at having defined sales processes. I think that's... Mm. Um, that's been a good progression, but I think that a lot of salespeople now rely so heavily on that linear sales process that they expect everything to go that way. They haven't really thought about like, this is a certain type of business I'm going into. What are the likely challenges that this type of business might have adopting this kind of product? Mm -hmm. What are the questions they're likely to ask? What are the challenges they're likely to have? And really thinking about how you're going to address those in a way that is valuable to them and and within their context and within their language mm -hmm. um, and that shows that you really understand them i think all of that that preparation stuff is super important um and i'm glad you remember me saying something like because it just goes to show we probably did have these conversations after a few drinks one late night because uh, i don't remember saying it so uh that's a many, good one many late nights um a, a friend of mine, a lady by the name of Charmaine Keegan, who has been on this show before, uh, she talks about the flip side of, of it, which I think is super interesting, which is you go through those meetings and a lot of salespeople don't get to the other side of it and then just sit there and take a moment and go, mm -hmm. how did that go? Mm -hmm. Why did they ask me that? Did I do a good job of answering mm -hmm. it? How else could I have answered it? And doing that reflection piece... Mm -hmm post meeting and post sales opportunity as well i think both of those things are actually equally as important to the process itself you know and yeah. and um i hadn't really thought about that part in a little while so i'm glad you bring it up because uh i think you're, you're totally right it's a, it's a massively underutilized skill and tactic and and probably not something that's being done nearly as much as it as it should be. Um, that's that's why we see the growth of uh, a tool like Gong, where you're you're having that reflection opportunity, and it's not just let's listen to the recording. I think that was the first phase of these reflection tools. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, here's a call recording, and let's go and listen to that call recording and see what we can do. They're analyzing talk time. They're analyzing keywords and phrases. They're analyzing. Um, you know, at what point of the uh, call did the sentiment change? Who on the other side spoke about what? And it's not just, as you said, it's a reflection beforehand. The the research and prep, if, uh, sorry, the reflection after the call, it's the research and prep before as well. Um, because I, I don't know of many uh, account executives 
or, or SDRs that if they invite one person to a meeting and that person says, oh, great, I'm going to invite these other people along, ask the very simple question. Fantastic. Great to have them. Could I ask exactly what they're looking to get out of the meeting? What mm, is important yep. for them in this meeting? Because if you're not doing it before the call, you have to do it at the start of the call because if you don't, by the end of that call, those individuals could walk out thinking they weren't even addressed, right? They're just there mm. along for the ride where if they've been invited to that meeting, they're there for a purpose. Yep. And if uh, if they don't feel like they got value out of the meeting, even mm. though you you may not have planned for them to be there, they're going to have a negative... Um, a negative association with the value that you bring to that, that particular deal and that particular opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, that's a great, that's a, you know, I've, I've never trained on that specifically. Um, I've always trained teams on finding out who else is involved, who else might need to see this before we decide mm-hmm. to go ahead, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get that information, who else, and then try and get them into those meetings. Um, I don't think I've ever trained anyone on once you get the names, have you really explored what that person needs? Mm. Um, I think I've probably personally done it quite naturally. You want to know that information, but I don't think I've ever trained it. Maybe ask make, a, make a little note of that. Ask yourself this question, Ben, and, and maybe <laughs> this is a bit of a, a, a eye-opener as well because it's, it's rarely, very rarely done. If you're going into a cold call, You've never, never met that person. You, you really want to need to build the rapport quickly. You do research before that, right? You look at their LinkedIn mm-hmm. profile, where they've worked before, have they had previous conversations with us? What can I do to ensure that that individual understands that I'm there to learn from them and, and I know the context of what that individual is there for? I can, I can relate to that individual. But if you attend a meeting and you haven't spoken to those people before, how much research do you do for the other people attending the meeting before that before mm. that meeting. Do you go to their LinkedIn? Do you check out their history? Because if someone pushes back in a call and says, you know what, I'm not quite sure this is going to work or, you know, this is a bit too expensive or complex and you come back with, again, with preparation, well, as I know you previously worked for this organization, that organization went through a similar path with us uh, or, a, you know, a typical uh, complex situation. And you can relate to them. Uh, and answer that question mm, based yep. on that research, it, it's incredibly powerful. So um, having something... Yeah, that's, that's, su- that's such a great lesson, man. That's such a great lesson. Mm. I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't really thought about that before. That's a big one for, for anybody that is selling to multiple DM, um, multiple decision-maker type decision-making units. Um, we are going to start running out of time, but I have another question I really want to ask you, which I ask everybody that comes onto this show, which is about learning. Um, First of all, uh, I know for a fact nobody makes it to, um, you know, to be a sales director, a VP level, et cetera, et cetera, across big businesses without uh, having a pretty consistent and, you know, self-driven approach to learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, First question is, what is your approach to learning? How do you go about attaining the information that you need and the knowledge that you need in order to be able to lead constantly developing and growing teams? Yeah, it's the best question to ask, especially in this day and age. There's 
a plethora of opportunities to, to learn podcasts like this one or books or TED Talks, obviously, uh, out there. Um, for me, there's been a lot of um, business strategy startup books that I, I get into. Um, but some of my favorite of this leadership uh, books, one of uh, my recent ones, Extreme Ownership, um, that just teach mm. you this ability to not shy away from uh, taking the decision that's something that you need to own or uh, be responsible for or uh, jump into. So the um, the other side I'd say is um, I, I, I enjoy a lot of learnings from individuals. Um, so having conversations with people that I work with um, outside in my network, my friends, you learn from converse, you learn from individuals more than I think books. You learn from real life examples. Um, you know, I'm mm. one thing that not many people know about me, and um, it's it's definitely raised in interviews uh, pretty quickly. Is I, I haven't got a formal education when it comes to you know a degree or a master's, and I'm hiring people with you know multilingual uh, de- multi- master's degrees, even doctorates. And the first thing they ask, or sometimes, is, "Where did you get educated?" And I say, "Well, I had a high school, Terrigal High, where you and I went to. Uh, I did a year in film and TV, but outside of this, I, I, I don't have it." And they, "How did you get to the VP of Sales Development level with without that?" It's like, "Well, first of all, Salesforce took a chance on on me there as well." Um, but you learn on the job. You learn through um, eagerness to always be okay to grow. This growth mindset is super important. Um, that you're always happy to fail and learn from your mistakes. Being vulnerable, mm. that you're not um, you're not perfect, and that you always have an interest to um, yeah to, to grow and learn, but also to be um, yeah as back to the ownership factor, own, owning up to your your strengths, owning up to your weaknesses, and mm. putting the effort into to improving those. Yeah, I. Uh, you can never really learn anything if you're not willing to look like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and sometimes you have to go in and like try things and uh, exactly as you say, like own own up when things don't go wrong and be like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> mm. uh, to me, it's like mm. um, <clears throat> the key like factor is curiosity. Mm. Um, there's that amazing scene in Ted Lasso where he talks about curiosity. Do you know the one I'm talking about where he's playing darts? Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I do. And he's for like, anyone that hasn't yeah. seen it, check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah um, great, mm. great, great scene uh, in Ted Lasso. Um, but people that are curious are the ones that go looking for answers and don't assume that they know and try and find out. Um, and those are the people that tend to that tend to learn the fastest, right? Mm-hmm. They don't assume that they're right. They assume that there might be more information to gain. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. It's, is that there's that, there's, that one book, I'll, um, there's one thing. There's one thing I add to that. Sorry to cut you off. I was going to say there's um, curiosity for an SDR is probably one of the the biggest strength points you you search for in a, in an interview process. The curiosity of the company, the individual, and questions. It is amazing how many people get to the stage of the final round of interviews, um, speaking to the VP of sales development or a senior leader, and they say, I have no questions. I've had Mm. all of my questions answered. And it's just a shame. Sometimes they're really doing so well and they just have zero curiosity to learn from a senior leader through the interview process, even if you're not going to be reporting through them. 
there's so much, so much to learn from senior leaders. Uh, curiosity is okay. Um, and we recently did a, a workshop for my leadership team at, at CoachUp. Uh, we, uh, we did a strengths finder workshop where we understand each other's mm. individual strengths and our combined um, similarities in strengths. And the number one thing we, we understood that we all have in common is the eagerness to learn, always learning mentality. And I think that's so mm. key for an SDR sales development leader is you may have sold extremely well in the past. You may have been super successful as an SDR, as an account executive, even as an SDR leader in the past. But someone new to your team or a situation comes up, you're learning constantly. And how you adapt to that and say, oh, wow, that's actually really interesting. Let's, let's review that. Let's maybe implement a new change, a new best practice. It has to, you have to keep that agility and that always learning behavior. Otherwise, especially in this day and age with all the things that are going on, you're, you're going to fall behind. Mm, 100%. Absolutely. That is great, uh, great advice to wrap up on. Uh, so give us one last piece of info, which is um, anybody that wants to reach out, uh, what might they reach out about and where can they find you? So uh, I love talking about coaching and the world of uh, scaling coaching through organizations. So if you have a people development, professional development, leadership development, executive development uh, need uh, at your organization, Coach Hub is uh, the global leader in, in this area. So please re reach out to me or my team, uh, check out our website. Um, but I'm also uh, excited about sales development, obviously. Um, I, I love the sales development team we've built at Coach Hub and, and I, I love the network, the community, part of a lot of great other SD leaders out there. So uh, if it's a chat about sales, sales development or coaching, uh, big data, any of those, please reach out. Always happy to, to learn and, and to have a chat. Awesome. Great to have you on the show. Always amazing to see you and chat, my good friend. Thanks, Ben. Love to see you. Take care, mate. See you, mate. Bye.